You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Pull out the brooms here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. I cover the Suns and the NBA at SB Nation as well as Dime Magazine. And you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. But most importantly, you can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On PHX Suns, where you can tell me what your favorite part of game one was. We're going to get into all of it. There were many, many, many to choose from in the Suns' 122-105 victory. Welcome into the show. Any new listeners, this this uh, playoff run has been wonderful for all of us already, and I'm sure more of you are finding the show every day. Maybe you saw me on Channel 12, which was kind of an insane thing to do, the local station here talking about game one in this series, and I'm sure many of you are just finding us wherever you listen to podcasts. So the best thing you can do is hit subscribe and let's get into this game, because like I said, there is a ton to get to, a ton of different positive things to choose from. We're going to talk about Chris Paul, Mikhail Bridges really setting the tone in this game, stepping up when they really didn't as often in the previous series the Aiton-Jokic matchup, and then some things that the Suns were able to exploit that I do think will continue and some that I think may not really get through the, sh- the, the game in the same sort of format we did with the Lakers games, the story of the game, the, the good stuff, and then the adjustments. That's really the routine here, and we will do it again today. Uh, but first, guys, today's episode brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it. If you enjoy it, let's start with my main observation, um, which is going into this game, I think it was fair or, or the series. I mean, obviously the game one that fair to say that the Suns were probably going to be able to play in a lot of ways similar to and at the same level as they did against the Lakers and be competitive, if not beat the Nuggets. I think a lot of Suns fans felt very confident. I think this team going into Los Angeles in a game six and closing out the Lakers the way that they did were coming off of that game feeling like they could do this. Um, But I think the obvious thing was like, okay, well, you know, three entire days four days between games, but three full days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of rest for Chris Paul. Does that do enough for Paul where he is a difference maker, you know, in a series with a backcourt that is as depleted and ragtag, so to speak, that as the Nuggets is, can Booker and Paul, and especially Paul with a healthier arm, healthier right shoulder, punished them in a way that they couldn't consistently do against the Lakers. And if that was going to be the case, I think you would have probably felt even better about the Suns' odds in this series. And just generally speaking, that if they could get something more than the recipe that they were able to use to beat the Lakers, which was defense, threes, and then Booker and Ayton, that was really the the recipe there to take down Los Angeles. If they could get something on top of that, again, it was going to look pretty nice for them. 
Well, the reality is, the whether it was the rest or just time in general, Chris Paul did look a lot better. Had, I believe, 14 points in the fourth quarter and 11 assists total to just one turnover. Really, really took control of this game. And you had a huge performance, 23 points on 12 field goal attempts from Mikhail Bridges, who also chipped in with five assists and just one turnover for himself. Uh, if, if you were going to get that, or they did get that, obviously, and that ended up being exactly the result that we expected, which is that the Suns were able to pour it on, and it didn't look particularly close by the end. So if they're going to get more than what they got against the Lakers, which is to say, you know, besides their two cornerstone players and their reliable defense and open shot generation, that they're going to have individual scoring performances like what we saw from Bridges and Paul, then those brooms should be out. (laughs) They really, really should. Um, And I think the other thing here to look at is, to me, I thought that some of, and this will be part of what we talk about with the adjustments, but you had a, a series where the strengths were going to be a little bit different than they were against the Lakers, one being that you would not expect the Suns to be able to uh, win the bench as well as they did in the Lakers series. That proved to basically be true. Denver's bench played decently well, especially Millsap and Jamichael Green, and I think that's something to continue to watch for. Monte Morris was pretty terrible in this game. That probably won't continue. Um, And the other thing that I thought going in was, well, Denver has a identity, right? They have a thing about them. It's Jokic, it's um, smart, competitive, for the most part, pretty athletic players who are going to play together on both ends of the floor and execute a scheme that everyone knows to a T. And that part, that part held true. That part held true. But the Suns, which by the way, guys, this is their fourth straight win. Um, they won games four, five, and six against the Lakers and now game one here. And I, I think Denver's identity showed through like, for the most part, you will we'll get more into the Aiton Jokic matchup, but like Jokic did his thing for the most part, in my opinion. Um, they were able to generate threes; they didn't make them. They didn't get to the free throw line, which is a little bit odd. And Michael Porter Jr. wasn't quite his, you know, thirty point self. He was again also not able to get to the free throw line. Didn't execute well from two point range, and just looked out of his rhythm a little bit. But like a lot of this stuff has carried over, and so. I thought that would be something where the Suns would not be able to take advantage. In other words, guys, the two things I thought might work to the Suns' disadvantage was they were going to need more from their role players and might not get it, and that the Nuggets, knowing who they were more than that injured and very oddly constructed Lakers team, knew what it was, that that could pose a challenge, that the Suns did not have the identity and coaching and uh, culture advantage coming into this series. And both of those things ended up to be not quite as impactful, at least in game one, as I thought. So to me, those are two of the biggest strengths aside from just the power of Jokic that Denver had, and neither one of them came to bear. So to me, it's no surprise. The Suns won by 17 points. They outscored Denver in the fourth, in the second half by 18 points. They scored 65 points in the second half. Denver's defense looked like it had no answers as this game got along. And I'm just left wondering sort of 
is there anything that the that the Nuggets can do besides just make more shots? Like that goes a long way, but I don't think that this thing switches. I don't think that Denver flips a switch here and all of a sudden they're able to play defense at a higher level or magically heal um you know Jamal Murray like if 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 Will Barton plays in the rest of this series do things look a little bit different I I suppose I, I would say yes because it's another shot creator on the perimeter who's not reliant on Jokic to get him offense as as often if the free throw stuff is creeping a little bit more toward Denver does that change things yes and we'll talk about those adjustments but I just found myself feeling like the things I thought Denver would really be able to take advantage of and that they might actually have a leg up in did not did not happen and and didn't just flukily not happen but genuinely honestly did not feel like things that I I was right about right I just I don't necessarily see that that, that those things will change so we'll talk about the bench that is one that I think will be different um but just generally speaking, uh, the Suns do seem like they're in a position to, to for their role players to step up. Chris Paul, not a role player when he's playing like this. And the identity stuff, like the Suns are really making that life difficult on the Nuggets right now. The identity that they've created that they were able to, to lean on against Portland just isn't as easy against a defense like the Suns. So I think Suns fans should, be, should feel very, 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 very good coming out of this game. It's obviously great to just steal one. There's only three more left. So in and of itself, that is optimistic. But also, I just think that they enforce their will in a way that leaves you very, very inspired for what's to come. We'll talk about the rest of it, and I want to dig into that eight and Jokic matchup just a little bit more. But first, let's talk. take a quick word to talk to you about Credit Karma. Who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma money, you could win cash reimbursements for debit purchases every time you spend. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on up to $5,000 in spending. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Just open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There is no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. When you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, so starting when you guys are listening to this, the rest of the month, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money progress starts here. So what you're going to do right now is go to visit is go to creditkarma.com slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. All one word. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Today's show also brought to you by Rock Auto. Rock Auto is the best place to shop for car parts for any single vehicle that you have. Just type in your make and model into Rock Auto. It'll take you to a page with everything that they have, whether that is something as simple as motor oil, 
or a little more complicated, like a brake part or an engine control module, it's all right there. Rock Auto has it for you. It's going to be low price. It's going to be easy to find. It's going to be easy to buy. They're not going to nickel and dime you based on what the market is looking like or whether you're a pro versus a do-it-yourselfer. It's easy. It's a family business. They don't even make you create an account to shop. You can just do it as a guest. Put your Put your card info in, put your shipping info in, and get it right to your door. I had an awesome time shopping for my uh, sun visor on the driver's side. I've told you guys about that countless times now. It could not have been easier. Did not cost me much at all, especially compared to what they were about to charge me at the dealership. I love Rock Auto. You will love it too. Consider it the next time you need anything for your vehicle. The way to do that is to go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, and when you make your purchase, write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com More on the Aiton-Jokic duel that we saw. A few things to look at here in the box score, first off. Um, First of all, three assists for Jokic. I mean, you can pretty easily look 14 of 40 from deep, and a lot of those misses were the guards and wings that Jokic kicks out to. I mean, they don't really have a pull-up threat on this team, but whether it was Gordon, Rivers, or Morris, these guys were just not hitting shots. And so that starting group, that that and obviously Morris, who plays a lot with those guys, that Jokic is out there with just did not hit their shots. So... That's a good thing, right? I mean, part of it is making that team uncomfortable, playing the passing lanes, making them second-guess things, making those shots a little bit uncomfortable, contesting well, all that stuff. The Suns did it. That was not necessarily a fluke. And 35%, it's not as if the bottom fell out, right? It's not this completely uncharacteristic game that you can't count on happening again. I think that low total, low efficiency was partially from the Suns. The other thing to look at in the box score for Jokic is zero free throw attempts. Zero. He did not also get called for fouls. This game was really officiated in a like let them play type of way. We'll have to see if that continues. But at least for one night, Jokic was kept completely, completely off the foul line, which is a massive victory for the Suns, of course. Um, I asked Monty Williams pregame about what you do to avoid foul trouble. It didn't really end up being an issue really at all for this team tonight, but you know, he said that you don't want to sacrifice the physicality, right? Like you need to be aware of where your fouls are. You need to be aware of, you know, avoiding getting into the bonus, these types of things, but that they don't want that to be a sacrifice um, that happens of not playing physically and aggressively because you're avoiding fouls. Well, in this game, the Suns were able and allowed by the referees to do that physical level of defense and not have to worry about it too much, to be completely honest. So, if you're going to keep Jokic off the free throw line or, or keep that total low while also, you know, contesting threes and, and not allowing him to kick out, you're turning him into a very one-dimensional player, which is that he's going to score the ball himself, which he did. He was 10 of, uh, he was eight of 18 from two point range, not his best night. And then two of five from three did miss a wide open three from the corner in the third quarter, which felt like just the end of it, end of the game for the Nuggets, but just as a reminder to everybody, this is a guy who set a career high in free throw attempts per game with 5.5 in the regular season this year, his MVP campaign. He 
basically had one of the highest, basically tied for the highest free throw rate of his career and per 36 minutes got to the line nearly six times. So he doesn't rely on that shot as much as, say, a Joel Embiid, a um, Anthony Davis, these types of players, but he obviously lives to get there and tends to get calls. I mean, he was fouling Yusuf Nurkic out of these games in the first round and in this game could not even buy a call. So excellent job by DeAndre Ayton. I wanted to just kind of, at least from my perspective, I obviously have not re-watched this game by any means, but I do just feel like the Suns were not really concertedly doubling Nikola Jokic. They were relying and allowing Ayton to defend him one-on-one for the most part, even in some situations where they were they were losing a switch. I thought the one situation where Denver did get some success getting the ball to Jokic was in transition in the first half. The fact that Ayton was really trying to get the offensive boards and the Suns were missing some threes, which allows for long defensive rebounds to the Duggets, all these different types of things. Jokic was able to leak out, was able to get a seal and get a mismatch especially and make things happen. That was really the one time it worked, but for the most part, the Suns were able to defend Jokic without doubling, and they were fine letting him score a little bit from inside by himself. Um, He wasn't necessarily dribble driving and kicking or shooting threes, triple threat stuff. It was very much a post game for Jokic, and they were fine with that. And then rather than double send a hard second guy at Jokic, what they were doing is sort of digging, hedging, whatever terminology I don't exactly know, um, getting in there with, you know, a quick shuffle toward him, getting, uh, I thought the spacing sometimes, the the Suns were really good about this with Anthony Davis and LeBron James as well in the first round, which was knowing who to send help from, the guys that are defending the floor spacers closest to Jokic, the guys that are defending the floor spacers that are least scary, um, and, and knowing who that they can leave, all that stuff made it uncomfortable, and then they were so good at reacting getting back out to shooters to contest, but especially not even allowing the ball to get to those shooters in the first place. The Suns had, as a team, eight steals in this game. Mikael Bridges had two. They were making life pretty tough on Denver when it tried to kick the ball across the floor. I actually thought it was a good point um, by J. Kyle Mann on the Timeline podcast, which you should obviously check out. It's a weekly show. I don't feel like I compete with them too bad, um, but they did a good show. They did a good interview with with Kyle, which was um, talking about the similarities between Denver and the Lakers and some of those skip passes that LeBron is so fond of that Denver does them too, that Jokic tries them too. So I thought they were very good about cutting a lot of that stuff off and all of that whole game plan ended with a night from Jokic where he had more field goal attempts than points. It's an ugly performance. It's the the product of not getting to the line and it's something where if it continues, you just don't see a pathway to victory for Denver. So obviously a huge kudos to Aiton for not getting eaten alive in those one-on-one moments. I think it's easy to say that that's the game plan. It's another thing to execute it. Jokic had nothing but good things to say about DeAndre Ayton when uh, he was asked about him post-game, loved his mentalities, admitted how difficult it was playing against him. But I also wanted to shout out the other side of the ball for Ayton because this thing continued. The scoring performance that this guy is putting on continued. 
Devin Booker, I asked about in a game where Booker only scored 21 and had eight assists, just what he felt like he was seeing off the ball and what his movement and the way that the Suns were using him off the ball was opening things up for his teammates. He deferred, Booker deferred the credit on that stuff to Ayton, said the rolling and the hard rolling and the decision-making out of that was the main thing that created space in this game for the Suns that allowed them to shoot 13 of 34 from deep and just required a collapse inward from the defense that that left shooters open that required a lot heavier and harder decision-making on the part of the Nuggets defense because it's one thing to you know sell out on Aiton rolling or the shooters but when both are working I mean we've seen this time and again the Suns get such good offense at a pretty simple pick and roll because of the the spacing the dynamic nature of Booker off the ball and then obviously Aiton and Paul's chemistry and their talent individually so Aiton doing that doing it well finishing when he needed to getting up for lobs occasionally getting behind Nikola Jokic defensively and uh, making good decisions too. He had some nice passes, didn't get an assist in this game, but was good about moving the ball, was good about getting rid of it when there wasn't something there, and was really good about staying aggressive, even with hands in his face. He got to the free throw line once, had a nasty dunk on Michael Porter Jr. once. Actually, I think he got to the free throw line twice. I think they were both and ones. So two-way game for Mayton. I mean, John Gambadoro, I saw on Twitter, made this point post-game of, you know, comparing it, maybe it was the the Paul Mayweather fight still in his head. I don't know, but that in boxing, this would be a a complete victory for DeAndre Ayton. Um, the two two fewer points on ten fewer shot attempts, and one more rebound and a much better defensive performance. I thought from Ayton than we saw from Jokic. So if that continues, it's I mean, it's not going to be a competitive series. It just isn't. You forget anything about the other guys making shots or any of the other stuff we talked about. I just don't think it will matter um, if if DeAndre Ayton continues to even just keep up with Jokic, let alone outplay him, which you could make the case he did tonight. So excellent there. A obvious, very important factor in this game that DeAndre Ayton helped sway. Uh, I want to tell you more about what I think we could see in game three we will, or game two. We will also have Michael Pina on the podcast, a basketball writer and podcaster at Sports Illustrated will come on on Tuesday. That will go up Wednesday to get you ready for game two. So we'll have more there. But I want to go over my quick thoughts on that to get you out of here. First, though, today's show also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all your sports action. I've told you time and again if it's more fun, if it's more enjoyable to watch these games knowing you've bet on them and could get some money out of it in addition to some memories and joy and everything else, well, go ahead and do it. Bet Online has you covered for all of it. They have news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info constantly being updated as with the NBA, but also in the NHL, MLB, fighting, and tennis and golf. Everything's going on right now, so don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the game as teams prep for their championship run. The way you're going to do that is you're going to head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device. You're going to make an account, and when you make your first deposit, you're going to use the promo code Locked On. That is all one word, the name of our network, of course, to get a 50% welcome bonus right to your account. Again, promo code Locked On when you make your first deposit at BetOnline. To get a 50% welcome bonus, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's close out the show with adjustment talk. That is what we typically do on these shows. Again, subscribe as you 
make your way through the playoffs. If you haven't done that already, I do not know what you're doing. We're here every single Monday through Friday. You're going to get game recaps. You're going to get series breakdowns. You're going to get interviews. I got Cam Johnson heading into the playoffs. Who knows who I'm going to get afterwards. So get ready, guys. Hit that subscribe or that follow button to get this show right in your feed every morning. Um, But let's talk about some of these adjustments. First of all, the bench. I mentioned at the top of the show, I think it's not going to be so nice for the Suns going forward. It's very ugly if you look at the plus minus for this stuff because of the run that the Suns were able to make in the third quarter. Minus 12 for Millsap, minus 15 for Jermichael Green, minus 28 for Monte Morris. Those are really, Denver played eight guys in this game. So did the Suns for the most part. Really, I guess nine. Dario Saric did get in there for nine minutes. Um, But a couple things stand out. So Millsap and Green combined to shoot eight of 11 from the field, three of six from deep. Would not be surprised if we see more of those guys. I don't, it's not an ideal thing because your starting lineup already has so much front court depth and talent. This is the part of the rotation that Denver is obviously best at. I think Malone did it pretty well. 23 minutes for Green, 13 for Millsap. Hard to imagine you buy any more time for them, but I did think there was a lineup we saw bench-wise that did some damage against the Suns in the first half, and then it just didn't matter by the third quarter They the Suns were able to get on that run. But that lineup was, I, feel, I believe Morris was in there, and then it was Green, Millsap, and Michael Porter Jr. So long, they are able to switch pretty much everything. Morris in there to set the table. They can run with that lineup. They can still rebound pretty well. Green and Millsap, both pretty good rebounders. And I don't even know who the fifth guy was. It doesn't really matter who it is. And I think that lineup is not a good matchup for what the Suns want to do defensively or just the the personnel that the Suns have, rather, with Sharich and Craig and everything else. They're just a little smaller than that unit. It's not often teams can bring good size off the bench. The, the Nuggets really can. So, yes, it was very good in that second half for the Suns, but... Overall, I think the bench is still somewhere where the Nuggets can play the Suns equal, if not win those minutes. And again, the plus minus tells a different story, but campaign was just three of eight. He only had seven points. Again, more uh, more field goal attempts than shot than points for Payne, just like Jokic. And I don't think you're going to get the Tory Craig performance that you got in game one every single night. I Do I think he's going to be aggressive playing against his former team? Yes. I mean, but rebounding, he got eight rebounds, two offensive boards, two blocks, nine points, made two of his five threes. Just felt really confident in a way that, you know, if the if the Nuggets really play off of him, dare him to shoot the ball, they were contesting pretty hard. Um, he did get some weird chaotic. He, he just has a knack for, for finding a way to score in those moments, but you can't always count on it. So if you get an, a little bit of an uglier Craig game, if Payne is not right and you know, you're not really finding it anywhere else, then things could get ugly. On the other hand, I think Cam Johnson will play better going forward. I just think, again, the bench is, it was such a clear strength for the Suns against the Lakers, not so much in this series. So something to continue to watch. Guys, all of our playoff coverage this postseason is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage Again, brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. A couple more things to get you guys out of here. Um, Michael Porter Jr., not scary defensively. And that's where I want to end. Um, Mikhail Bridges is 
a player I haven't spent a lot of time on yet, and that's a mistake. I wanted to just highlight that in the first half, he was passive. Um, a couple times in the first quarter, especially, he was not attacking the rim. I think he passed up two potential finishes in transition, um, was dishing, and again, got got the five assists. He had a, a few nice hookups with Aiton where he would Bridges would attack a closeout and Aiton would be there in the dunker spot or would sort of cut to the basket a little bit, get in position to finish, and, and Bridges found him. So it wasn't just as a scorer, but he was just tentative in that first half. And then Chris Paul told us postgame that uh, it was actually a three that he passed up. It was it was even the fact that he did attack the closeout that, that Paul called him out on a little bit, saying, you know, basically, you got to take that. Like, we're, we're creating these shots. We saw the Suns create so many of those threes, and they were so efficient at making them and we know Bridges is elite shooter Paul sort of said no you got to take those shots and so from there it was more confidence from three he finished Bridges did four of eight from deep it was also just more uh, aggressiveness when he did attack the closeout he made a couple mid-range jumpers got to the line uh, didn't have like any crazy finishes but just felt more confident in that second half finishes with a team high 23 points obviously a playoff career high in this first playoff run for him so it just brings us to not only what he can do when he stays aggressive I think Michael Porter Jr. is an exploitable player on the defensive end and if anyone else I mean that's just like almost the best case scenario for for Denver is that Porter is covering him anyone else that's going to be even uglier because Bridges is then going to have a length and, and height and strength advantage against most of the other guys so that's a matchup bridges on offense no matter who's guarding him that you could imagine being there all series long and if he can play aggressively if he can move without the ball if he can score at all three levels at least enough to keep the defense honest I think he could be a guy who scores at a pretty high level all series um, I just don't think it's there's much that Denver can do to stop it because they're they're selling out so hard to stop Booker and they need to worry about the pick and roll they need to worry about Aiton at the rim and helping there all this different stuff which by the way hurts when Aaron Gordon is out on the perimeter too it's another part of this that is tough on Denver which is that Booker if, if Gordon is on Booker which he was most of the second half well that's your best help defender in that starting unit it's the best help defender on the team so he's he's so good at everything defensively he's their best option at all these different things but it means that if he's doing one he's not going to be doing the other so Booker was spacing the floor so far out there a lot of times that Gordon's just out behind the three-point line fully and not able to get to the rim to help. So just another part of, of Bridges being able to attack there. And like I said, Porter Jr., even when he's in position, even when he's reading the floor, not getting left in the dust, any of this stuff, teams just are not scared of him. And we we know that. That's just a fact of life. It's a thing about NBA defense that I think we all notice is it's just it, it's reputation based as much as anything sometimes where teams will not try things against you. Aiton is a perfect example of this. Teams will not try things against you if they think you're good at defense, right? If they if they've studied you and seen a track record of success, teams are less of uh, less likely to attack DeAndre Aiton than they used to be. Even LeBron James, right? But it, as a rookie, as a second-year player, we saw consistently that even if Aiton was having a nice game, even if he was in the middle of a nice stretch, teams would still go right at him because there just wasn't a need to worry. And Porter Jr. is in that situation. The Suns are not worried about him. He has the size. He was contesting stuff. 
He was even getting switched on to Booker and I don't think got like completely toasted, but it just didn't matter because the Suns are going to keep trying to punish him. It's against everything else when Rivers and Gordon and and Millsap, these guys who are a little bit better defensively are out there, you're still going to want to attack Porter because he's just the weakest guy. So even when he tries, we just saw the Suns really take advantage of him over and over again. So I would say that's a matchup we'll continue to see get exploited. And then the bench, maybe that swings toward Denver. Maybe Jokic can get to the free throw line. Maybe the three-point stuff. Maybe they go in a little bit. Denver gets really hot. It's it's far from a dead series for the Nuggets, but the Suns won by 17 and basically three-point-wise played the, played the Nuggets to a draw. Didn't get that much of a game from Devin Booker. It's... It's uh, it's very much everything coming up, Suns, right now. Everybody should be excited. The building was rocking. I hope that folks can get out to Game 2 or Game 5 if there is one and uh, really, really relish in this. I cannot thank you all enough for listening, for supporting the show, for, for coming out in full force to support this team. It's been an awesome season. It's continuing in a way that I never thought was possible. And so uh, just to get a little bit earnest and corny here to close the show, uh, just how much I missed that crowd, guys. And it's really making me feel very, very appreciative, as I said, and just excited and um, happy to be in that that vil- that building with the vibes that are that are going on and the the fandom, the memories, everything. Um, it's been a very cool run, and I think there's every reason to feel like it will continue to be very, very fun and positive for all of us. Um, so there's that. Enjoy your Tuesday, folks. I will be back first thing Wednesday morning for you. Subscribe so you don't miss it. Michael Pina of Sports Illustrated breaking down game one and what to expect the rest of the series.